Disney has made a fortune, a fortune on creating storylines that touch on life's difficulties, but then turn out in the end with a happily ever after, right? Storyline goes, there's the, the big climax, things are going on, and then it turns out good, and everybody gets that warm and fuzzy, that good feeling. Yet for some of us, and I would venture to say many of us, we don't have those fairy tale lives. So what we saw in the film or in the video, that wasn't us. Although it felt good to look at it, to watch it on screen and see how it turns out happily ever after, our lives have not been that way. As a matter of fact, many of us have learned that life is hard. Life is hard. Very hard. Even for the believer, life is very hard. We experience pain we experience loss, we experience sorrow, grief, anguish, distress. We experience sufferings of all sorts. We deal with health issues, with marital woes. We deal with financial burdens, grief over our children, sorrow over the loss of a loved one. We live with pains from traumatic offenses. The scars and hurts from life are endless. Do I have anybody's attention? Because perhaps we have some of you who are living the fairy tale life, and we praise God for that. However, for many of us, we understand exactly what I am describing that life is hard. And there are times that come into our life that we don't see pretty sunsets. We don't feel the cool breeze across our faces. We only see darkness. Dark clouds with no light breaking through. Our feelings are raw. Our hearts feel like they've been thrown in a blender. Our thoughts are all chopped up like a jigsaw puzzle. We can't put them together in a clear way. It's like climbing a ladder with no rungs. We're getting nowhere. I know people in our fellowship this morning who are going through times just like this. And I know people in here that know others that are going through times just like what I'm describing. And maybe for some of us, we have no clue of any of this. Maybe life has been very good. But perhaps there will come a time when there are sorrows and there is grief and distress and difficulties. And it's because of that, and it's because of that agonizing of the soul that so many of us go through, that this morning I want to jump out of our study of the Gospel of John and I want to look at a psalm this morning and look at a psalm together. You know, the Psalms, for, for many of you that know your Bibles, the Psalms are a beautiful place to journey through when you are feeling the weight of life bearing down on your soul. That the Psalms are a great place to go for refreshing. That oftentimes we see the Psalm, the, the writer complaining about a life circumstance. And they go through and lay down the circumstance before God. And they mourn their misery before God. But then the Psalm moves in trajectory, towards a resolution, a maturing of faith, a clinging to the Lord, a, in a sense, happy ending. 
and there's that uplift towards the end. But this morning, I want to share a psalm with you that does not do that. Oh, I heard it. I heard it. It does not have that trajectory to that happy ending. There is no resolution in it. There is no happily ever after at the conclusion of this psalm. You say, Pastor, why would you do such a thing? You just got back from vacation. Now you come to make us miserable? Why would you give us this this morning? So I ask you, do you think I'm trying to discourage you this morning? (laughs) Have I returned from vacation to crash the party? To add misery to our lives? Not at all. I actually want you to look at the Scriptures fresh this morning. And I want them to bring hope to you this morning, to each and every one of you. And I want you to know that you're not alone, that some of you going through these trials, going through these miseries, and as you cry out to God, you say, God, where are you? I want you to know you're not alone in that. And I want you to know when you're crying out to God in the agony of your soul, that it doesn't make you less of a Christian because you're crying out to God. It's actually the fruit that you are a Christian. Do you understand that? Some of us have guilt. How could I cry out to God this way? How can I mourn all that's going on before God and you feel less of a Christian? Like, I should be stronger than this. I should be better than this. When it is actual fruit that you are a Christian, that you're crying out to Him. This morning, if you're taking notes, the title of our message is Agony of the Soul. Agony of the Soul. We're in Psalm 88. If you have a Bible, please open up. It will be on the screen, but look at your Bible in your lap. Psalm 88. It is a psalm unlike all of the rest of the Psalter. There is no resolution in the psalm. Psalm 88, there are 18 verses. I will read the whole thing up front. Psalm 88, starting in verse 1, we read, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you, Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one who set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes to you. 
Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. May God bless the reading of his word. I will tell you there are not too many churches that will preach on Psalm 88. (laughs) Because it seems hopeless. It seems hopeless. It seems like why would we talk about these things? But church, this is life. Have you ever felt like that? Why is it that when we go to prayer, we think somehow, I can't be transparent before the Lord. I need to shine it all up, make it look all good, even though he knows everything that's going on within me. Here the psalmist lays it all out. I heard one one gentleman say, look, you itemize your taxes, itemize your prayers. Lay it all out, every single thing. That's what we see here. Nowhere is this psalmist declaring that God has treated him unfairly. Though it might sound that way, he's not declaring that God has treated him unfairly. Nor is he accusing God of wrongdoing. Neither is he demanding that God must act on his behalf. He's not demanding that. He is burying his soul before his God. Laying himself barren before God. He's acting without hypocrisy laying out his soul before the God of his salvation, the God who is in control of all things. These are feelings. You know God's created us with feelings? These are raw feelings. And all of his raw feelings and thoughts, whether right or not, they're what he's experiencing. They're what he's feeling. You understand what I mean by that? There's sometimes just the thoughts go wild and our hearts tied up and and hurting and it doesn't all make sense it doesn't necessarily line up with all of scripture and then friends come around us and they go hey hey, hey, wait slow down romans 8 28 god works all things together for good for those who love him and called according to his purpose it's okay you know what they don't see they don't see that raw feeling that's going on inside of you are they right absolutely When they say, hey, remember James says, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of trials. You know what they're missing? They don't see the raw emotion of what you're going through. But are they right? Yes. The psalmist here is being as transparent as can be. And there is no resolution. He starts off and he's crying for mercy. He's crying out for comfort. He's crying out for hope. You know, it's interesting what scholars and theologians have said about this psalm. Here's a quote. This is the saddest prayer in the Psalter. End quote. Here's another quote. This is the gloomiest psalm found in the Scriptures. The psalmist is as deeply in trouble when he has concluded his prayer as he was when he began it. End quote. Here's another one. Quote, this is the darkest, saddest psalm in all the Psalter. It is one wail of sorrow from beginning to end. Guess what? 
that's in the Scriptures. God has preserved Psalm 88 for us. Not only that, but it was a song to be sung. Well, there's got to be something here, right? There's got to be more to it than just someone's emotions. Of just looking at it and going, well, wow, he feels like God's abandoned him. Maybe some of us have felt that way at times as well. Psalm 88 is a psalm of lament. But unlike other psalms, there's no resolution at the end. It begins in misery and it ends in despair. We see three movements in this. If you're taking notes, here are the three movements we're going to look at this morning. The first one is a cry of misery. The first nine verses, the cry of misery. Then we'll see a plea for God to act now. A plea for God to act now in verses 9 through 12. And then lastly, a cry of despair. So misery laid out. All the circumstances. Then a plea for God to act. Please act now. And then ending in despair. Now I'm guessing if you are following along this morning, you're not feeling so lighthearted right now. It's very hard of a song. And for those of you that have gone through or are going through grief and sorrow and sufferings, it's a very heavy psalm because you can feel what the psalmist is writing. A cry of misery. Look at me with just the opening two verses. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you, Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. What do we see right from the opening? O Lord, God of my salvation. A believer. First thing we have to notice is believers are going to suffer. There's going to be misery. There's going to be sorrow. But the God of my salvation, there's a hope. There's somebody I can go to. And the psalmist says, I cry out day and night. Remember that pray without ceasing? That's what the psalmist is saying. I am praying at all times. And the plea is, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. This cry out loud is like an emotional shouting. Not a yelling at God, but just where the emotion just comes out. It's not a quiet, go into your prayer closet and just say a nice little quiet prayer. It is just releasing the emotion out to God. What he's saying is, I've come to you. Verse 3 says, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol, meaning death. Death is getting closer to me, and my life is still full of troubles. And I have cried out to you time and time again for delivery, and it's still there. It says in verse 4, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. It's like I am dead. It's not like I'm already dead. I'm a man who has no strength. Like one who's set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more, for they're cut off from your hand. Talk about just complete misery. God, I'm crying out to you, and it's like you're not even there. You're not hearing me. You're not responding to me. I'm still suffering. It's as though as if I'm already dead. He says in verse 6, You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Look at, you have put me. Ready? 
you have put me. Verse 7, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Now that line right there is very vivid in my imagination. Not my imagination, but in my memory. Because sitting on the beach and watching the waves, they're relentless. They just keep coming and coming and coming. And he's saying, that's what my life's like. This suffering just keeps coming and coming, keeps pounding and rocking me back and back and back relentlessly. He says, you have caused my companions, verse 8, to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Now, we don't know exactly what the psalmist was going through. Most likely from the description, some type of physical ailment. He's crying out. Whatever it was, it was suffering that he's crying out. He is laying out his misery and is even saying, God, you have done this. Why would he say that? Because God's in control of all things. Maybe God hasn't done it, but he's at least permitted it in his life. He's allowed it to be part of his life. And there are times that we have things in our life and we think, how could you let this in my life? God, you treat me like I'm not even alive. Like, like, where are you to care for me? Why have you allowed all this misery? My life is full of sorrow. This is how he's laid this out. This is the opening of the psalm. Now, usually in the psalms, we start off this way. Usually, every psalm will start off this way. Oh, Lord, God of my salvation, you're my refuge. We read Psalm 28 earlier, and it went in that trajectory. There was the complaint, followed by hope, and a happy resolution. So here's where we usually see that transition. Look with me in the second half of verse 9. It's a plea for God to act now. And here's where it would be, my misery is laid out before you. And now I'm finding hope in God. This is where we typically see this in the Psalms. Verse 9, the second sentence starts, Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. That means he's coming in complete submission to God, pleading with God. He says, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? He's saying, I'm still alive. I'm still here to honor you. I'm still here to praise you. Act now. I'm on the threshold of death. Act now. He says, is your steadfast love, verse 11, declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? He said, Lord, may your wonders be seen now. Would you please act on my behalf? Would you please deliver me from this now that you would receive all honor and glory and praise? It's a plea for God to act. And in all the Psalms, when we see this trajectory, we see the complaint, we see the plea, and then we see God acting. But Psalm 88 doesn't go that way. Psalm 88 is different. There is no other psalm in the Psalter like this because right now at this plea for God to act now, we see God's always acting. But for this psalmist, it doesn't go that way. It doesn't transition to a happily ever after. Instead, we see a cry of despair. A cry of despair. 
verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Ongoing prayer. Continuing prayer. Lord, I keep coming to you. Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? What is he feeling right now? Abandonment. He, he's communing with his God. He's crying out for help. And he's not receiving anything. So I, I feel abandoned. You've hidden your face from me. He says in verse 15, afflicted and close to death for my youth. This is not just a recent thing. It's been ongoing. This isn't like something just suddenly happened in his life. He cried out to God and said, God, why aren't you answering? This has been ongoing. Day after day, year after year, and he's crying out going, God, I am still hurting. He says, I suffer your terrors. And the end of verse 15, I am helpless. There's nothing I can do in my strength to fix this situation. There's nothing that I can do in my power to change this. It says in verses 16 through 18, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. Look at verse 18. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. So not only is it God that he feels that there's no connection there. God has left him, but also his closest companions. Completely alone. Completely abandoned. And now you sit there in misery with the psalmist going, okay, great. Thank you, Pastor, for sharing this with us. Now we feel the misery that the psalmist is going through. But why? Why is this recorded for us? Why is this retained? Why is this God's inspired word for us today? To sit here and to study this. Look, we know this. Scripture says pray without ceasing. And we see that in the psalm. Verse 1, he says, I cry out day and night before you. Verse 9, every day I call upon you. Verse 13, in the morning my prayer comes before you. This psalmist prays and prays and prays. And it hasn't been for a day or a week or a month. It's been since his youth. He's been crying out to God. So he prays more. And he prays more. And he prays more. And there's still no answer. No relenting. No change in his circumstances. I want you to think about this. Do you know what they call it when you do the same thing over and over again and you expect a different result? They call that insanity. What about when you pray and God doesn't answer? So you keep on praying. And God keeps on not answering. And you keep on praying. And God keeps on not answering. You're doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Is that called insanity? I love all your answers. I'll take them all. It's not what I came up with, but it, I agree with all those. It's called faith. It's called faith. It is evidence that you're a child of God. 
it is evidence that you are his, that you would go countless times back to him again and again and again. Though you see nothing, you see no change, you go back because he is your God and you are his. So you go back. It is not insanity. It is faith. Reprobates, those who are not God's elect, they're not upset over the absence of God. They're not saying, why have you hid yourself from me? But God's children are. They're the ones who are upset. Unbelievers don't cry out all day night, all day and night. Believers do. As I read through this psalm, it reminded me of Job. Did anybody get some Job in there of just the crying out of Man, Job said this. He said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. My question is, for this psalmist and for what Job said, how is that possible? How is that possible? How can you, how can I keep on calling on God when it doesn't appear that he's answering? How can we do that? How is that possible? It's because you're his. It's because you are his. That's why. Why do you keep going back? Because you're his. Look, we read this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Apostle Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, wait a minute. Who responded to the gospel because they thought it was going to be a Disney movie? And all things are going to be happily ever after. Because the reality is, Christians suffer. This is a believer that we just read all of this raw emotion. All of these things going on with somebody who trusted in God. But kept going back back to God. And perhaps for some of you, you find yourself going back to God, even though your circumstances aren't changing. But you keep going back. Guess what? Because you're his. You're his child. And he has started a work, and he's going to finish it. And whatever trial, and whatever difficulty is, he is going to sustain you all the way through it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 we read, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Fellow Christian, if you keep going back to God, and you keep pleading with him, and you keep begging him to change things, and yet you don't see anything changing, Find hope in this, that the reason you keep going back is because you're his. The reason you haven't stopped and said, you know what, I tried Jesus. You ever hear people say that? I tried Jesus. He didn't work for me. It's because they weren't his. But when you go to him and you plead and you beg and you pour out all the miseries and all the anguish and things don't happen to change, but you keep going back, please, oh, Lord, day and night I come to you. To you. Please deliver me from this. It's because he's begun a work in you. And he's going to be faithful to sustain you. And though raw emotion may bring 
the feeling at times that God has abandoned you, know that it's faith that God has given you to cling to him. It's evidence that he's sustaining you. That when you go back in your suffering, in your trials, and you cry out again, oh God, please, it's evidence of God in you. He's given you that to come back again. That you're crying out, you're constant crying out to him in the midst of your suffering is evidence that surely you are a Christian, that you are his. No, church, we've got to get over this idea that we've got to clean ourselves up perfectly and come before God with this perfectly written out prayer. And, and the reality is he sees everything. This psalm has left us a perfect example of coming before our good and gracious God and burying our soul before him. And even when we think he's not answering, even when we think that he's abandoned us, the fact that we're going back to him is that evidence that we're his. I want you to think about that. Cherish that reality. Cherish the reality that as this psalmist cries out, it's, Lord, God of my salvation, I come to you day and night. I plead my case before you. Please help. It's because he is Father. He's Daddy. We run to him. And if that's you, be encouraged. This life is hard. This life, there will be hurts and pains and sorrows, but the evidence of you running back to him over and over and over again in the midst of your suffering is evidence that this world is not your home. That sorrow will last for a time. But eternal life that is promised, a place where there is no sorrow, there is no pain. Look, those things can be extreme in this life but you've been chosen for eternal life where there will be no pain and sorrow. And all that will be done. And the evidence now of you going through suffering and clinging to God is evidence that you are His. God works in mysterious ways. You know, our prayers are often, Lord, I'm right here in the suffering, and God, I need you to take me right over here in the land of beautiful wonders and everything else. And sometimes we pray and we stay right here. That's where the psalmist is at. God, why am I still here? God, I continue to cry out to you. You know, God doesn't sleep and he doesn't slumber. He doesn't forget. He knows everything about you. He knows every sorrow, every grief, grief every tear that you've cried. He knows it all. And he's not done. He's still working. He's working in your life. He's sustaining you. And he's showing you as you come back to him, because that's the faith he's given you, to cling to him, that you're a child of his. Let's rejoice in that together. Let's pray. Father, you have given us Psalm 88 that you have inspired the psalmist to, to write. One that we would look at quickly and read and go, wow, that seems hopeless. It seems helpless. And Let's get on to another psalm. 
Let's get on to something that we could see some rejoicing. Where we see you intervening, bringing help. And yet this morning we look at a psalm where the psalmist cries out and goes from misery and leaves still in agony. Perhaps for some of us, we feel like that is our life. That it has been one form of suffering to another. And yet, God, this morning, the hope I see in this psalm, and the hope I and the hope I, I hope, excuse me, and the hope I hope that we all see in this psalm this morning, is that as we cry out to you, and we continue to cry out to you. It is evidence that we are yours. Where else shall we go? Father, you are faithful. God, thank you for sustaining us through the storm, through the times when it seems like there are only clouds and no light, that you are the one that upholds us. Thank you for the hope that this will not last forever, that there will be an eternity where there is no sorrow and no pain. Father, I pray for anyone who might be here this morning who maybe is not clinging to you, who has just the opposite reaction of thinking, why would I keep going back to God if he is not answering? Father, I pray this morning that you would draw them to yourself. Father, your spirit would bring them to Christ, that they would be your child, that they would have no one else to run to but you to continually run to you. I thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for giving us the gift of faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name.